Welcome to the Ohio Adult Allies podcast, where we are developing, inspiring, and empowering youth leaders. Today's topic is engaging young people with qualitative and quantitative data. Today we are talking with Evie Roberts. Sure, my name is Evie Roberts and I work at Prevention Action Alliance as the coordinator of the Ohio Youth-Led Prevention Network Youth Council. Uh, I've been uh, in youth-led prevention for about three years now. Michael DeLong. My name is Michael DeLong. I'm youth for impact prevention and I've been helping them for about three years now and I first got involved with their TLC camp they host. Beth Thomas. Hi, I'm Beth Thomas, and I have the pleasure of serving as an adult ally for YAC, which stands for Youth Advisory Council in Northwest Ohio. Um, I started the program about 10 years ago, and um, now am taking more of a role of a, as a supervisor and also with the implementation of our now school-based middle school program. Roshan Kumar. Hi, uh, I'm Roshan Kumar. I'm a council member on the uh, aforementioned um, uh, OALPN that Evie leads, and um, I'm just finished my fifth year uh, of youth-led, um, uh, but not necessarily drug-related uh, prevention. Um, and I'm also part of Dublin's uh, ACT Coalition, which is just the uh, youth-led prevention uh, between all three uh, Dublin high schools. Molly Stevens. Yes, good afternoon. I'm Molly Stevens, and I am part of Impact Prevention, which is a nonprofit here in Lawrence County. And I work with our impact team, which Michael talked about. I've been in the field of prevention and worked with youth-led since 1991, so 29 years. And I've got to see all the wonderful changes that are taking place uh, with youth-led being grounded in science and theory. And your host, Holly Raffle. My name is Holly Raffle, and I'm a faculty member at Ohio University's Moynihan School of Leadership and Public Affairs. I work with the Ohio Adult Allies Program, and I've been working in youth-led prevention in Ohio for about 10 years now. But my journey with youth-led prevention actually started much earlier. In the late 80s and early 90s, as a high school student, I participated in peer-led prevention. Uh, and so I, I always say that I've been called to this work. I definitely didn't choose it. It chose me. And so it's an honor to be here with you today. Engaging young people with qualitative and quantitative data. So to open up today's podcast, I have a question. How does your youth-led program use quantitative data? Rashawn, could you talk a little bit about how your youth-led program is using data? Of course. And um I would like to preface this by saying I'm mostly speaking for OLPN. Um, when I say that quantitative data for us is a lot of like, it's a lot of the data that we look at as a youth council. It's not everything that we uh, present because obviously quantitative data is just statistics. So it's really, really um, boring. Uh, for lack of a better uh, term. So uh, it's the stuff that we go to meetings, we look at, and we break it down to put into simpler and sometimes even quantitative data terms so it's easier to digest. Thank you. Michael, what would you add about how your youth-led program uses quantitative data? Um, we use quantitative data to compare trends so like see if something in a negative way is going up or a positive way is going up and to choose our problem of focus. 
Thank you. Could you talk a little bit deeper about problem of focus? What is that and how do you use data to come to a problem of focus? Um, we compare between local surveys and the OES survey that Southern Ohio does. Let's say in their data, it says nicotine usage is rising in e-cigarettes. So we'll use that data to decide, okay, then we're going to focus on having less youth um, using e-cigarettes. And that would be our problem of focus. And when you say problem of focus, focus on what? Can you just expand on that for me? What does that mean to... How would you explain problem of focus to someone who's unfamiliar? Um, the problem of focus is what you're working on to, um, like if we're working, if I'm working on problem focus with impact prevention, most of the time it's raise awareness. So we're raising awareness about how nicotine is negative or harmful to you, and then things you can do to stay away from the negative parts. Absolutely, thank you. Beth, could you give us a perspective um, from the Adult Ally on how quantitative uh, data is used in your program? Sure. Our young people use quantitative data, just like Michael mentioned, to determine a problem of focus. So what they might do is they might look at the three biggest um, issues in our community by looking through our youth health assessment data. They may determine that vaping, um, alcohol use, or marijuana use are the biggest issues. And then through further analysis of that data, we talk about the, the breadth and the depth of data, like how big is the issue, what ability do we have as a youth organization to impact that issue. And through that, that analysis of that data, they would determine that this, this particular issue would be something they'd like to move forward to um, develop strategies and activities to address that um, ultimately to decrease that negative behavior or on the other hand, increase a positive behavior. Absolutely. Thank you. So where does the data come from? Molly, how do you access that data in your community that Michael was referring to? Well, our community relies on the Ohio Healthy Youth Environment Survey, oh yes, which is a, a free survey that's all online that the schools can sign up to do. And um, it has a nice portal that you can go into and uh, as a just community member, you can go into and uh, just look into, you know, whatever topic, be it be smoking, uh, vaping, marijuana use, or each of the building district leaders also get um, information straight from the Lara Bellstone, who's over that particular department that does that. Uh, so you can work with your community school one-on-one -on -one to um, better uh, focus on what their need is uh, and do a strategy that you know hones right in on whatever the trend is, is of their uh, school maybe be it va vaping or mental health issues uh, so that way we can tailor and just not be shooting bullets and not know what our target is we actually have a good grip of what's going on a good snapshot of what's happening with the young people in that district oh, thank you Beth, how are uh, folks up in Northwest Ohio accessing qu quantitative data? In our community, we have a locally funded um, uh, health youth health assessment that's completed every two years. Um, it has been we've been collecting trend data for over twenty years, so that is why we choose to participate in our local um, 
assessment as opposed to a statewide assessment. Um, so what we do is we ask um, our young people, we develop a questions along with community stakeholders, and there's about 100 questions. They change slightly from year to year, um, but they range from how often young people might brush their teeth um, to uh, things like substance use, mental health um, struggles, and we go into our schools and survey 6th through 12th graders in each of our seven um, community districts, and then that data is gathered and, and analyzed by an organization, and then we present it in a public health um, release so we can share with community stakeholders as well as general community members, and then each individual organization will take the data that's most relevant to them and then work, as we mentioned earlier, in determining a um, what the priority should be for that particular organization or community, as well as um, choosing a problem of focus. Great, thank you. Uh, the next question is about presenting quantitative data for discussion. Evie, in your work, how do you present quantitative data for discussion among the OILPN uh, participants? I do my best to uh, prioritize data, data visualization. So charts, graphs, anything that helps uh, young people to make sense of what otherwise would just be, you know, raw data or raw numbers and might not really make sense to them. Um, I also try to utilize social math. So it's not saying, you know, 3 million young people use this kind of substance, but it might be 1 in 25 or 25 percent to just really help illustrate what the issue is about. Uh, from there, I ask a lot of questions to try to provoke uh, discussion uh, and conversation among the young people and just help to develop criteria for um, what kind of data matters to them and why. So how big is the issue? Um, what is the impact? Um, how has that issue changed over the past couple of years by comparing it to previous years of data? And what do we want to do about it? And what can we do about it once we understand more about this, uh, this, this problem? Absolutely. Thank you. Michael, how do you like to have data presented to you as a young person? Um, I think the best way to have it presented to us is by charts and graphs and not just give us raw data numbers because that's the biggest biggest error I see when they present um, data to youth is they just give you raw numbers. And most kids my age at the time really don't understand what the raw numbers mean until it's been simplified. Yeah. Rashawn, what input would you have about uh, being able to consume the uh, quantitative data? You alluded to it in, your, in the beginning. I just thought maybe you could follow up. Yeah, so uh, in my opinion, it really does uh, matter on who you're presenting to. Um, for example, going back to Michael, it is imperative that if you're talking to a large group of students, then having um, uh, your data not be just numbers or having what you present not just be just numbers because it really does overwhelm youth uh, and after a while they just zone out. However, if you are uh, presenting to youth um, that are say in a council or that sort of thing, they, in my opinion, they deserve to know just raw statistics so they can get a baseline and if they're being asked a question uh, by say, um, to other students by adults, they know what they're talking about and they have the statistics to back it up. So when presenting, yes, do break it down, do use stuff like social statistics uh, and make it easily digestible. However, having raw data isn't bad. It's just on who you're presenting to. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Beth, I see you nodding your head. So I want to give you an opportunity to jump in here. Um, much like Evie mentioned, we like to um, do some sort of activity-based um, uh, interactive-based activity to present the data. We might um, have data charts on the walls and the young people may go around in a gallery walk um, format and respond to that data, whether this feels relevant to them, whether they have pushback on the data. Um, and that just helps engage them in the process. And then we can start giving them more information. Um, like Michael mentioned, it depends on the audience. Um, some people may want more of that information and other people just want the, the broader picture. So I think it's really important that you tailor that information to your audience. Absolutely. Evie, what would you like to add? Yeah, I'd like to uh, piggyback off of what Rashawn mentioned um, because I have, uh, to, Beth's, uh, to Beth, what Beth said, experience a little bit of pushback sometimes whenever I share data with young people because they don't understand somehow, sometimes how it's collected or how it's expected to be utilized. And so survey data specifically sometimes um, arouses their suspicion. They might say, how can we trust this data? Why would anybody report accurately the kind of substances that they're using? So first off, helping them to understand a little bit of the science that goes into survey creation, as well as the importance of uh, looking at trend data over time to be able to address uh, under-reporting concerns goes a really long way towards securing their buy-in. Absolutely. Rashawn, I see you nodding your head. Is that? <laughs> would you like to jump in and piggyback off that? No, I was just uh, reminiscing over um, the fact that Evie used that exact same information and she basically taught us uh, how to read trend data and how to accurately look at data um, over time uh, during our uh, council meetings. So I was just um, reminiscing over that, I guess. Thank you for sharing that experience. Why is it important for youth-led programs to use quantitative data? So um, a lot of what OLPN does uh, is uh, talking to adults and talking to important people like senators, representatives. It's important to when you're talking to these uh, high profile uh, individuals that you at least look like you know what you're talking about. And having numbers to back up your claims is the best way to make yourself look like you know what you're talking about. And having those numbers be accurate and up to date is how to convince important people to go like, yeah, I, I agree with this kid. He knows what he's talking about. Yes. Um, as I said, I've been working with youth-led programs for a while now, and I am very excited at the fact that we are now grounded in science and theory to the point that we do look into data and our young people are working on a logic model and they can talk to um, the senators and all these, you know, various politicians or upper echelon people um, very um, knowledgeably because um, they've went through the process of uh, working on a logic model and, and know they know what's going on in their communities. They have a, a feel for the pulse of what's happening in their schools and it, it empowers them to uh, be able to talk um, to others about uh, what we're doing and why we're doing it. And then like I think I said earlier, if we don't really know what's going on in each different school, we are not being able to target specifically what needs to be done to make the school healthier. So um, I think that is a very valid reason why we have to have some type of 
baseline as to what's going on. So the first question is, how does your youth-led program use qualitative data, Beth? When I think about qualitative data, I think um, for me, it's about telling the story. So we might use qualitative um, data to tell the story of our coalition work, about um, what the community, what how our community views a particular issue. Um, it may be the story of our um, youth coalition. Um, we also use it in conjunction with qualitative data to um, determine a problem of focus. We want to have a good balance between both qualitative and quantitative data. And we may also use it to monitor our progress. So as we're moving along, we may be touching base with um, stakeholders, um, doing some interviews, finding out are they seeing a decrease in the problem? We might talk to local law enforcement and not only gather that quantitative data about um, number of responses to large parties in our community, but also just talk to our community members, to community stakeholders, and find out what their impression is or their perception of how things are changing as we're moving um, and implementing our strategies in the community. Thank you. Michael, what are your thoughts on how your youth-led program uses qualitative data? Just as Beth said, we talk to the people of the community and see how they see our community either going up or going down and really take information they say to help get a problem of focus too so we're not overly relying on one side over the other. Absolutely. So I'd like to shift our conversation now to collecting qualitative data. So what I heard is we need to listen, we need to go out in the community. How does your youth-led program collect qualitative data, Rashawn? So um, we actually did a huge project over this uh, last year in OLPN where uh, we got council members to go out into their schools especially. Uh, to interview and conduct focus groups in which um, students from inside their schools would be able to anonymous, anonymously uh, share their experiences with uh, vaping and uh, nicotine abuse. So uh, having that community outreach and having, um, in my opinion, having uh, youth being able to speak to other youth over different issues is, uh, I think, one of the best ways to obtain qualitative data. Thank you. Evie, could you talk a little bit about how that project was structured from the adult ally end? Yeah, um, so at the very beginning of the year, I first had to work to help the young people understand um, what qualitative and quantitative data were what our access was to those kinds of data points around vaping specifically, since that, that's what young people wanted to focus on that year. And then to figure out um, what we could do with the data available. So at that point, there wasn't any statewide data available on vaping. And even the national data just wasn't very textured and didn't share a lot of information about why young people in Ohio might be having problems with vaping. So um, we had a really big discussion about what kinds of, of, of activities we could do to try to address vaping without really understanding the underlying causes of it. And particularly from the perspective of uh, investment of time and investment of public tax dollars, youth council members decided that they wanted to conduct original data so that whenever they move forward with an evidence-based practice to address the issue, they could be uh, confident that it would be based off of an issue that had a wide ranging impact on Ohio youth. 
So um, I looked at, you know, how do you plan a focus group? And I chunked everything up into different steps. And then every month we just worked at it a little bit. So there was a two-step process in which um, I would educate the young people about, you know, here's how you do these things for a traditional focus group and then would turn it over to them to be able to recreate that piece as a youth-led focus group focused on vaping in Ohio. So um, for example, they came up with all of the questions for the script, and then those were uh, reviewed by myself and other adults that I work with, including uh, Dr. Jessica Lacura at Ohio University, just to make sure that those kinds of things were still in alignment with um, a, a traditional focus group. And then from there, we also worked on things like recruitment and organization and logistics. And uh, I went with the youth to be able to uh, just act as their facilitator and their support and um, watch them get to ask these questions to young people and to be able to collect that data so that we just had a better understanding of what vaping looked like all across the state. Thank you. I appreciate that. So we talked a lot about interviews as qualitative data. What other methods of qualitative data collection are youth-led programs using? I oftentimes like to use open-ended responses in surveys. We oftentimes think of surveys as exclusively uh, quantitative data instruments, but asking young people questions to help us understand more about why or how is absolutely a qualitative approach, and it's just about the tool that people are using. Yes, oftentimes at the beginning of our meetings, we'll have different questions posted on the walls and have like a, a thermometer alongside and have them to gauge where they think um, our community is or their community is uh, with little stickies so that we can get an idea of different questions, um, you know, or different answers to things that we need to know to move forward to make appropriate selection and strategy. Mm -hmm. The visual representation as well. Interviews and open-ended questions and visual representations. Beth, what are we missing? Anything from your end? Um, nothing that we've personally engaged in, but I've seen a lot of neat work around photo voice, um, which is a process in which young people will go into their community, particularly when you're looking at local conditions, and literally take photographs of what that looks like in their community. So maybe for an issue like vaping, they may go to the local parks if that's where a lot of vaping is occurring and taking pictures of um, jewel pods on the ground or um, looking in restrooms in the schools if that's where uh, vaping may be taking a place in their community and taking literally taking pictures of those pods in the trash cans or in the toilets and it just gives a, a very visual look at what's happening in our community and tells a little bit of that story particularly around local conditions. Thank you. Roshan or Michael any other qualitative data methods that we're missing from uh, from your experiences? Yeah, so uh, this one's really closely tied into surveys, but um, what uh, I've seen a lot of people do is they can use uh, social media to further let their voice um, be reached by people uh, even all across the United States, all across the country. Um, and they can ask the same uh, questions as in a survey, uh, take the same data, but just on a way bigger scale. How does your youth-led program analyze qualitative data? Yeah, so um, a lot of uh, the qualitative data that we get into um, contact with 
uh, kind of is uh, discussed um, between the group in just a big circle. And um, a lot of it, it actually goes into the creation of uh, what we call the strategic planning framework, uh, the SPF. And um, uh, we just have a big discussion of uh, just all the qualitative data that we've gathered in our personal experiences, and then we write all of that down, and then we break all of that down, and we figure out uh, which pieces of qualitative data can be backed up by quantitative data, which ones we feel most strongly about. Um, and from there, we continue to break it down to figure out one topic that can encompass uh, most of what we try to uh, bring up. Evie, could you speak a little bit to um, what your role was as the uh, adult ally during the qualitative uh, data process that you uh, discussed previously? Yeah, I'll admit that a lot of the wrap-up for our focus groups was, was conducted by me because we ended up finishing up the focus groups right as we were preparing for the weird majority of rally last spring. So I ended up doing um, most of the analysis by myself, but then um, I, I worked with the young people on the presentation, both to share it out at conferences, but especially whenever it came to our annual retreat where Rashawn and another uh, youth council member presented all of that data uh, to their peers so that they could use it and try to figure out um, what they wanted the focus to be for this uh, for this past school year and how they were going to use that data to be able to address vaping. So um, in addition to teaching all of the new youth council members about things like strategic planning and data and identifying a problem of focus, a problem of practice, uh, we also uh, had to bring them up to speed so that they were able to participate in a choice of which intervening variable we wanted to focus on for that next year. So. Um, I, I put up a series of uh, giant sticky papers around the room that had a bunch of matrices that would help the young people to be, make a decision about what was most important to them. So it was things like, uh, how much of an impact is this intervening variable going to have if we're able to, um, if, sorry, if we choose this intervening variable, um, how big of an impact do we believe that it's going to have on the issue of vaping in the state of Ohio based off of what we've seen in our communities, but uh, also based off of the qualitative data that we collected over the past year, and then juxtaposing that to things like capacity. So what's our ability to actually uh, impact this variable? And so from there, they are able to narrow down from a series of inter variables, intervening variables, just one, that if they uh, impacted young people's perception of risk and harm about uh, what would happen if they use vapor products, they would be less likely to engage in vaping practices. Thank you, I appreciate that. Molly, how does your youth-led program use qualitative data to make decisions? Well, we you have to have a um, pulse on your local conditions or your intervening variables um, in your community. For instance, um, recently we did uh, focus groups around underage drinking, and um, it was found in our communities that a uh, problem that we had was um, lack of parental conversation with their young people about um, underage drinking and the dangers of. So because of that, epiphany of information that we found by doing those focus groups, we realized that um, the environmental program Talk They Hear You uh, would be a, the best program for us to implement in order to get parents the information that they need and their hands and the tools and the knowledge uh, to be able to talk to their young people. Um, and it's um, been pretty 
positive so far. We've gotten a lot of very good feedback from it. Evie, you talked a little bit about how your young people made decisions. What role does qualitative data play in that decision-making process? Well, one way to understand qualitative data is that it's essentially a collection of carefully curated stories that put together reveal a greater truth about something in our society. And that's really important because as a people, not just young people, uh, we tend to prioritize stories sometimes whenever we make decisions about the world around us, whether that be how we should act or what we believe or what we value. And so being able to contrast or support young people's stories with a plethora of stories on our own that is uh, presented through qualitative data can be a really important way to be able to both recognize and validate their own experiences while encouraging them to think about other people's experiences as a reason to make a choice. Thank you. Beth, I saw some head nodding from your way. How does um, your youth-led program uh, use qualitative data to make decisions? I think in general, again, it's looking at that balance between quantitative data and qualitative data, like uh, many of us have mentioned. Um, it's it's using that balance to, to make sure we have both of that information moving forward. I also think um, qualitative data often draws people's attention, um, those stories, whether it's helping us get engagement from our young people or engagement from our community as we're moving forward. Telling that story, I think, is so very, very important. And that's a great segue to my uh, next question is, why, does it, why is it important for youth-led programs to use qualitative data? Um, so qualitative data on its own is very boring, but powerful. Um, but to kind of counteract that uh, whole boring aspect of it, uh, we need stories. Um, we need um, different parts of uh, different stories all together uh, to make a big story that can really tell everything in detail um, while also providing a good segue for the uh, uh, actual number data. So Rashawn, when you talked about quantitative or numerical data, you've used the word boring a couple of times. Can you unpack and help me understand what boring means to you? Yeah. So. Um, when you're in a meeting, uh, when you're uh, sitting around and hearing a bunch of statistics, uh, it's it gets jumbled after a while because you don't have time to take and process that information and put it into your own terms. Say you hear something like uh, three million youth are um, uh, using uh, uh, tobacco or nicotine products every day, and um, if the speaker goes straight to their next point, you don't have time to understand the full scale of the full three million youth that are being impacted negatively by uh, nicotine every day. And uh, having uh, uh, quantitative, uh, qualitative data, sorry, uh, qualitative data to just kind of add little breaks in the middle to um, really emphasize the scale at which uh, the numbers are facing, um, then you can really drive your point across a lot better. Thank you, I appreciate that clarification. Michael, from your perspective, have you seen um, the sort of boring side of quantitative or numerical data? Can you talk about that a little bit from your experience? 
Personally, I love data. I think statistics is probably one of my favorite things to deal with. But among my peers, I see, as Rashawn said, that if a speaker goes from saying one point when it cut and then goes straight to the next, they really don't have time to process it or they don't really have time to think, oh, I better write that down. That may be important. So they just kind of like go mind blank when they're listening. Thank you. And what draws you to quantitative data? Um, I think just how my brain's wired, it's easier for me to take numbers and break them down. So I've always just loved when I first started working with youth-led stuff, um, well, youth-led prevention, of dealing with the numbers part. What's your favorite part about dealing with numbers? Um, being able to break them down in a simplified version so I can pass the data on to my peers. And help me understand a little bit, if you will, I'm not picking on you, but the notion of breaking down, what does breaking down mean to you just so I can get a better picture of what you're doing? Even though this isn't that big of a comparison, but let's say it says 50 out of 100 and you're going through and let's say they don't truly understand that yet. Or if I'm dealing with a younger group of kids, then I could break it down easily and say, OK, one out of two people experience this. Thank you. That's really helpful for me to understand that perspective. So I appreciate both of you elaborating on your on your answers. Um, Evie, I see your hand is raised. Yeah, um, one of my favorite days out of the year is always Legislative Day. We both have one at the federal level where we go to Washington, D.C., and whenever we visit our legislators in Columbus. And there is nothing more satisfying to me as somebody who loves politics and policy and the idea of civic engagement than watching a young person be able to talk to their legislator or legislative aide in a way that both combines quantitative and qualitative data. They'll rattle off statistics that are either right in front of them on a handout that they give directly to the legislative aide uh, or just from memory based off of other questions that the person is asking. And their eyes will just bulge because you can tell that they did not expect this young person to start whipping out statistics. And they'll say, well, how can that possibly be? And that's where the qualitative data steps in. And they'll refer either to their personal experiences as an anecdote or to the qualitative data that's been collected and analyzed by somebody else. And that is incredibly persuasive. Uh, I really loved seeing it, especially this year, whenever my young people talk to their legislators about vaping, because it just seemed like they had this idea in their minds that, well, now that Tobacco 21 has passed, uh, young people are no longer able to access tobacco products, and therefore we don't have to worry about this epidemic anymore. And the youth told them that is absolutely not true they would explain to them that about 25% of young people have used vapor products within the past 30 days and they would just do this double take and say, well, why? And so whenever the young people followed up to be able to explain that it's things like people not enforcing the rules or uh, maybe people at gas stations are uh, allowing young people to access those kinds of, uh, those kinds of um, products anyway, it just clicked in their mind but it really took that combination of both hard numbers and those stories to be able to convince them that this issue with vaping is nowhere near over. Thank you. Uh, Molly, I see you really smiling. And so I'm gonna kind of wrap up, but I'm really curious if you had to give one piece or, of advice or one suggestion about engaging young people with data, what would that be? I think it would be to 
trust the process because the first time I opened up and did this whole process with our group of um, young people at a back to school event, I was really nervous about it because I thought, oh my gosh, we're going to present all these graphs and charts and information and, you know, I'm afraid it's going to be boring, but I, I found that our young people really um, blossomed from it because, I mean, we was looking to them for answers. We was looking for, to them to figure out, you know, what in all this data do you feel is the most important thing, the hot button, hot topic button that we can move the needle on and do something with. And they dug into it. They really, you know, put their all into it and it made them empowered um, to, um, to experience and uh, brought them t- tighter together as a group. And I, I was, I came out of, out of that weekend just tickled to death because um, I was scared and had no reason to be because they had my back. <laughs> Michael, what piece of guidance or advice would you give to either adults working with data or to other young people who are working with data? Um, when you're presenting it to the youth Break it down, um, break it into segments. Don't go an hour or 45 minutes straight into data. Maybe split it up into two 30-minute segments and a five-minute mind break in the middle. Absolutely. Uh, Beth, what guidance would you give? I think in echoing uh, Molly's comments is don't underestimate these young people. Um, While data, as our young people have shared today, can be boring, I think as an adult, if you take the time very intentionally, making sure you're putting it in a format that may make sense, like Evie referred to using social math, um, or Michael talked about the fact that you can break it down so it's a little bit um, more relevant to them. I think when you make that effort and you give them opportunity to provide feedback, sometimes we as adults fall into this idea of telling kids how things are as opposed to asking them how they feel. So when you give them that opportunity to provide feedback, to push back on that data, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised at what they give you. Thank you. Rashawn, what nugget or kernel would you give to uh, youth-led prevention groups, either adults or young people, about working with data? Um, So Beth touched on this uh, just a little bit. Uh, Discussion, in my opinion, is huge. Youth will have questions about your data, whether it is uh, where you got it from or whether if you can explain more on uh, why, um, say, going back to that 3 million youth use, uh, what allow them to use, what kind of products do they use, that sort of things. Teens and youth will have questions. So allowing your youth to be able to, uh, after every almost every data point, to just follow up with some questions and have a little bit of a discussion uh, will make it a lot more palatable and make it a lot more easy uh, for the group as a whole to digest whatever you're putting out. Thank you. Evie, what would be your kernel about using data with young people? Young people are oftentimes influenced by the attitudes of the adults around them. So if you're excited about data, then they might be more excited about data. If you're scared of data, young people will also probably be scared of data. So obviously I have not successfully convinced Rashawn about the exciting reasons to be thrilled about quantitative data, but I like to think that perhaps some of my genuine excitement about uh, developing and analyzing qualitative data is possibly reflected in his comments about it today and that will hopefully go on um, to, to follow him wherever he goes next. 
Thank you all. Um, I do have one final question and just kind of open up a space. What questions did you want me to ask and what questions did you want to answer about data that I didn't? Or do you have a question for another panelist that you're just curious about today? Uh, I have a question for Beth because um, since I also get to work with Isabella, who's both a member of the Youth Council and then also Beth's uh, Youth Advisory Council, I was just curious, Beth, if you could speak to how long the adult allies on the YAC spend talking about the annual um, assessments that your county conducts, because Isabella really knows what she's talking about, and it seems like the rest of the young people from YAC that I've interacted with are also really familiar with it. So I'm just trying to get a sense of how long that took to be able to build that excitement and that comprehension of that kind of data. Sure. Thanks for the question, Evie. I think kind of like um, Michael, Isabella, who you're speaking of, has an interest in data, which certainly is, is part of the process. I can't say that all of our young people share quite her level of enthusiasm, but I think it starts with probably about six or eight years ago, we started inviting our young people to attend the public um, release. And it is a, usually an hour and a half to two hour session in which our um, the organization that pulls our data um, together uh, presents. It's a PowerPoint presentation in which they step through the different data points, again, allowing for pushback, for questions, for clarification. And I think that really allowed um, the young people to truly understand um, that this wasn't just something we pulled off a shelf that it was that was living and breathing data and so that's kind of the initial thing and every year we have probably four to eight young people that attend um that public release and then once um we are working directly with the entire youth council because of, the, of our funding we have a tendency to focus specifically on specific or on substance use um data as opposed to broader data but we certainly um, recognize the tie between substance use and mental health and some other issues. So some of that data is brought in as supporting data as well. But then we may spend two or three, four or five sessions, depending on how things are going. We meet twice a month um, in analyzing that data, presenting that data, discussing that data, um, giving young people that opportunity, um, like Michael and I think Rashawn talked about as well, to push back on that data, um, to make sure that they're understanding the data, where it came from, um, what are... Is that reliable? Um, again, we, we rely heavily on that trend data, which I think helps young people put it all into perspective. So as we close, I want to thank you all again for spending your time. Uh, I know your time is valuable with us today uh, to discussing uh, data, quantitative and qualitative. We have a lot going on in our country in terms of COVID-19, in terms of civil unrest and civil uncertainty, and the fact that you chose to come here today to talk about the role that data plays in empowering all of us to do what we can uh, to keep our community safe and healthy, and I really appreciate that. So thank you all, and I hopefully I'll see some of you on another podcast soon. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Ohio Adult Allies podcast. You can find more of our episodes on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play by searching Ohio Adult Allies. Episodes are available at www.ohioadultallies.com.